on the evening of May 31st, in a town not too far away from where we are now, three 12-year-old girls settled in for a birthday sleepover. They enjoyed a slumber party with popcorn and movies, as so many others have, before drifting off to sleep. But this was no typical slumber party. In the middle of the night, Peyton was awoken hard by her two friends, Morgan and Anessa. With an evil glint in their eyes, the two girls told Peyton to come with them. They were going to play hide-and-seek in the woods. When Peyton protested, Morgan and Anessa displayed a knife and forced Peyton to come with them into the darkness. You see, Morgan and Anessa were not your typical middle school girls. They viewed themselves as proxies of Slenderman and would do anything to impress him. They had plotted this for months, preparing carefully to make their sacrifice, convinced that once they had, Slenderman would open himself fully to them and ask them to join him. But Slenderman insisted on an offering. Morgan and Anessa needed to kill their friend. Once in the woods, Morgan and Anessa forced Peyton to lie in the mud. Peyton begged to be spared. After all, she'd known these girls for years. Why would either of them want to hurt her? But these cries fell on deaf ears. Morgan and Anessa knew what they needed to do. Drawing back the knife and stabbing Peyton 19 times in the chest. Covered in Peyton's blood, Morgan and Anessa walked away into the darkness of the woods. Slender Man awaited them. Welcome to Campfire Fables, the scary story podcast that shows us that our worst nightmares might just be real. Hello, I'm your host, Rachel Zisman, and I'm joined tonight by my wife and co-host, Pug Zisman. Welcome to Campfire Fables, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything that keeps you up at night. For tonight's spooky story, we're talking about Slender Man, the demon who lurks in the woods, haunting the nightmares of many and inspiring ghoulish deeds. Where did he come from? Is he real or just a figment of the internet? And if he isn't real, why does he hold so much power? Thanks for joining us tonight, everyone. I'm really excited. This is a project I've been wanting to work on for a little bit. It's the very first episode of a new podcast Peg and I are working on, Campfire Fables, where we talk about anything and everything spooky. 
So I am really excited because this is a topic area that I love and something that I am really excited to get to work on with you and some of our friends. So I guess first... Do I have to share with other people? I just feel like I want to always be on the show. It's fine. You can have other people. I'm just so amped. No, I know, but I've just had, when I've mentioned it to some people, they said that they were excited about potentially getting to be a part of it because it's a topic that a lot of people like. So I guess before we get into it, I, you know, thank you for being here and, of course. and hanging out with me tonight. Before we got into our discussion tonight, I'm curious to know if you could share with us a little bit about what your thoughts on paranormal or just general spooky things are. Yeah, I'm a person who, if you ask me about my level of, like, people will say, are you superstitious? Yes, because I'm a person who is raised in a very, like, Catholic upbringing. And so to that end, I believe in some things that are beyond being explained by basic science. And by that, I mean, I essentially just believe in ghosts. Or at least I very much want ghosts to be real because it means that there's some kind of afterlife after you die. And so I think that's where my level of paranormal beliefs lie. I don't believe in cryptids like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. I love stories and legends about those topics. I think they're really fun and whimsical, but I don't believe that they actually exist. And when it comes to things like aliens, I think they... I think life probably exists in some other parts of our universe um, or galaxy, but I don't know that I believe that they've repetitively reached out to us. I think it's possible. I think it's possible that maybe the governments of the world would have an incentive to cover some of that up, but large scale, I don't really have tinfoil hats. Sure. Pretty much just put me down for ghosts. That's so interesting because we've definitely talked about ghosts before this moment. You don't believe in ghosts. No. Or so you say. I mean, do I, I guess I would fall in the same category of like, do I want them to exist? Yeah, of course. I think that would be way better than people just dying and decomposing. That's a sad reality that I think exists. But... I think I am much more open to cryptids, actually. No! Yes! I think that there's so much more um, possibility that we just haven't discovered Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. No! They've looked! (laughs) Yeah, but it's a big forest. I don't know. No, listen. They've looked for ghosts, and they've found them. No. But, like, have they? Zach Zach Bacons and Ghost Adventures (laughs) say that ghosts are real. I've watched so many specials on the Loch Ness Monster, and all of it's baloney, and it's not there. I wanted it to be there, but it wasn't. I think, I think, as far as ghosts go, there's just as much to the power of suggestion and just being in a creepy spot as there is. Sure, but what do you say to Zach when he gets his machines to produce magical words on the screen? No, I'm kidding. I'm that I'm the, 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 when they I do the, the ghost is, when they do the ghost I forget what it's called. They they like get this machine to just magically show produce a word, a word on the screen. <laughs> I'm like I'm not compelled by this. But I do I mean there are a lot of people who tell stories about seeing human figures and Bigfoot. Yes. No. <laughs> like, like transparent human figures. Sure. I think I think ghost stories are far more pervasive. And I think a lot of people 
have reason to say or have have yeah, I think I think far more people have reason to say that they've seen Bigfoot for purposes of profiting than they do for seeing ghosts. That's probably true. You I I mean like Zach Zach Bagans is totally I think you get no profiting. money whatsoever for yeah, right. He's the one person profiting off of it. <laughs> um I mean, I guess you don't really make bank for seeing Bigfoot, but I I don't know. I just think there's more evidence to support spirits than there is to support cryptids. So therefore, I I don't believe in cryptids. That is fascinating. I didn't know that. I thought you would be I would be the one who was poo-pooing everything and you would be the person who believed in everything. But now, Oh no, I will poo-poo with you. You're right. <laughs> uh, this is exciting because now we have a better... We apparently poo-poo opposite Yeah, things. right. I know. Just apparently. <laughs> um, and I would say I'm on the same same train as you with UFOs just in general. Do I think that they're regularly visiting us and picking people up and dropping them off? Probably no. not. I do think I could buy into a lot of conspiracy theories, though, related to governments covering it up, governments doing things. I could, I could definitely see myself being more of a conspiracy theorist than I probably let on. It Well, it makes it, yeah. I mean, beside, outside of extraterrestrials, I think there are reasons in history that governments of, of the world would have to cover up things from their civilians. I'm not saying I'm an expert in those things, but it, I'm just saying it makes sense that some things could exist. I'm not a, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means. I really just just put me down for ghosts. <laughs> Interesting. Well, and not and not all ghost stories because sure. obviously some stuff is just totally fabricated or could easily be explained by other reasons. And also, and we should get to this at some point, not today, not right now, but I've had my own ghost experience, and I think that's what makes me a believer. I know you don't believe it. Sure. You can't see her, but she's making fun of me with her face right now. No, I think your ghost story is very valid, and I think you saw what you think you saw. No, listen, we'll get to this in the future. I, I, I saw what I saw. I did not black out. We'll get there. We'll get there. And also, I was 16 years old. Like, this is, anyway, we'll get there. Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm really excited because I hope through this podcast we just get an opportunity to talk about all manner of spooky things, everything that keeps us up at night. No, just me, because you just, weirdly love watching murder mysteries. I do, I know. And, and Everything that things. keeps you up at night That's and everything right. <laughs> that I just find fascinating. There it is. All right, well, let's get into talking a little bit about Slenderman then. Slenderman. Slenderman. So first things first, what are your thoughts on the story I shared? I feel like as a counselor, I want to understand why those girls bought into the urban legend that is Slenderman. And also, what is the urban legend of Slenderman? Like, yeah, I think the most interesting part to me is that how did these two girls, Anessa and Morgan, get so caught up that they were to the point of murdering a friend? So the internet lore of it is that Slenderman pretty much only appears in behind children in pictures. <laughs> I know. 
And so that's, I think that's why I wanted to learn more about this is because it's clearly just a creepy made up thing. So why is it that these two girls became so obsessed to the point that they were going to kill their friends? Well, and where did they get the idea that they had to make a sacrifice to please Slenderman? See, okay, so I did a lot of research on this, where it came from. So when the cops were interviewing the two girls, it seems like one of them was more mentally unwell than the other. And I, well, so this is sort of, I don't know how much to put into this, but um, one of the articles, I think it was the Jezebel article, talked about how uh, Morgan was just more mentally unwell, it seems, than um, Anessa. And puts, I don't know how much stock to put into this, but it says that she had her first period like a month what? or something before this. I know. No. I was like, that is no. A, I don't even know why Jezebel would have brought that up because I was like, what a weird no. anti-feminist thing that like you got your period and so then you killed someone. <laughs> like why? Uh, why did I kill someone? Oh, it was it was hormones. <laughs> right, I know. Like uh, incredible, horrible, P- extreme PMS. PMS. Um, but it brought that up. But I think it was. It brought up that Morgan was maybe a little bit more detached from reality. And so it seemed that she really believed, well, she was really obsessed, you'll like this. She was really obsessed with um, a couple different, I guess, like uh, fandom areas. Oh, perfect. Yeah, right. So um, My kind of people. Yes, she was really into Harry Potter. No, um, no, you can't be into Harry Potter and then decide killing someone's a great idea. I'm not sure even Voldemort. No, well, like thought that she had personal relationships, I guess, with some of the characters, oh. which is very, they don't specifically say she's experiencing psychosis, but to me, that sounds like something that would be You, indic- I have to say, the thing that's interesting to me about the Morgan di- dynamic with Anessa is that research often shows that in the case where you have two people who commit a murderous crime, it's usually one person who has the more bigger mental health concerns related to killing, like the dis, like having an attachment to reality. And the other person tends to be a follower type, maybe on the depressive side. And that's where you get dynamics like you saw with uh, Dylan and Eric in the Columbine shooting. This is on a much smaller scale, but still on a very tragic scale, that one person, their mental health latched onto this urban legend and then decided to act on it and found a follower to join in on the behavior. But a lot of the research that had been done on couple or like pairing violence centered around married couples, which is really interesting, which I find as two people that are married, I find that concerning that we could probably descend into madness like No, that. I feel like if we, when <laughs> one of us starts to lose it, the other person suddenly becomes the rock. Right. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Or completely folds to their psychosis. It's one or the other. But I think in a way, because it sounds like these two girls spent so much time together that they were functioning as, you know, even if they weren't romantic partners, they were functioning as being the most important person in that other person's life. I mean, I think similar to the Columbine shooting boys that did that. Um, so, Began to isolate themselves. Yeah, isolate themselves. You know, a lot of, like, the theories were, um, is it one person who is coercing the other person into being, you know, doing this evil thing? Is it one person who has really severe mental health concerns and then the other person maybe has some darker tendencies as well but isn't 
wouldn't act on them on their own, I guess. And maybe that's the one that made the most sense to me. It didn't seem like there was one angel and one demon, you know what I mean? Like, it seemed like they both had some not-so-good things going on in their life, not-so-good mental health states that were happening. And there is, you know, you mentioned earlier, although lighthearted, talking about how one of them had just got her first period. Mm -hmm. More to the point, I think, is the fact that during adolescence, we're more likely, all of us, to have... Uh, impulsive behaviors, more likely to truly have spikes in um, like emotions because of hormones changing. And also, until your frontal lobe is completely developed, which really doesn't happen until like your mid-20s anyway, you are more likely to have poorer judgment on what is right and wrong. So even if you've been taught, you know, the, the good news of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. I suppose you could be more prone to making this sort of choice at a teenage stage rather than at an adult stage, particularly to someone who sounds like was a friend or at very least like acquaintance. Did they have any, because we often, not to be lighthearted about it, but often in education we talk about with um, trios of friends, particularly girls, we call it the trouble with triads. There, you, you find yourself comparing your relationship against the other person's relationship with each other, the other two. And so you tend to have a lot of conflict in groups of three. Did it say anything at any point about there being conflicts? Like, what made them choose Peyton? So it did talk a lot about that, and I think um, Peyton was a better friend with Anessa. Uh-huh, And they is. started off um, being friends, I think, in fourth grade is what they talked about, and then this is taking place when they're at the end of sixth grade. So mm-hmm. it's... A solid chunk of time and it sounds like Morgan was a new student or met them at the beginning of sixth grade and so if I can imagine Peyton and Anessa were friends then Morgan arrives and decides that Anessa is going to be her best friend mm-hmm. and I think if we're going with the theory that it's one person who has some really dark in a state of really dark unwellness and mental health and then preying on and maybe exploiting another person who has, who's maybe weaker, easily dominated, but also mm-hmm. maybe has a tendency to, wouldn't shy away from violence in the way that somebody else might. And so I think that that, you know, that's a perfect explanation of like, this is why they, it sounds like they maybe didn't have a ton of friends already. And so I don't know how many girls they could reasonably invite over to their house. So. I don't know exactly why it would have been Peyton who was picked, other than it was just one of their other friends. You know, outside of the murder, I, the trouble with triads I see every day. Uh, the other thing I noticed is that thought that when you're an adolescent, and again, research supports this, your social relationships tend to be one of, if not the most, primary focus of your everyday and can become so important to you that it becomes a primary part of your own identity, your friendships with other people. And so I could see too how you could be influenced by somebody else that you have a lot of emotional stock in, maybe even all of your friendship eggs in that basket, where you don't wanna lose that friendship and you want it really solidify the relationship together. And what better way to do that than through a giant act? I think even if you're 13 and you're acting impulsively, and of 13-year-olds don't kill other people on purpose or try to, 
you still recognize that attempting to kill someone or succeeding in killing someone is a huge act that bonds you to another person forever. Yeah. I am sure that is something that they talked about. Yeah. I want to go back to you mentioning that it was impulsive because actually in the story they talk about having planned this. So it took the stabbing took place in May, but they'd been planning it since February. Ugh. Yeah. Which I think adds to the what what have they done to it. plan it? Like like what did that planning look like? Do they have like journals and like yes like schematics of how they were going to make this happen? Yeah. So a lot of the stuff I saw online was um, basically like a crime, like a toolkit that they would need to take with them. So they had um, like they wanted to take knives. They wanted to take rope with them. They planned to take what they need the rope for. In case you need to tie her up, I assume. I don't know. I didn't I've never that. thought about murdering someone. So yeah, that's right, I know. Um, then they also were taking things for their travel into the woods. So their plan was... Like granola bars, like yes. next to the stabbing knife? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, which sounds so weird for their travel into the woods. So they had like maps of where they wanted to go. They had planned to go basically just into the woods and expected that Slender Man would have appear to them his mansion in the woods would appear to them <laughs> i think it's one of those like mansion of requirement sort of situations <laughs> if you were borrowing you got from harry potter passed yes. it three times yeah like you think of it really hard you need to have done something <laughs> for it to appear to you uh before it all before it counts or before you'll see it i think did they claim to find slenderman when all of this was done no, they didn't end up finding Slender Man. So they were walking um, basically past a wooded area uh, on a highway out of town. And by this point, Peyton had been, so it had been like several hours because they the attack took place early morning hours, May 31st. And then they left Peyton and started walking through the woods, came across like a highway or freeway sort of thing, and were walking along that. So in the meantime, in the time it took for them to walk to this, place where they were apprehended. Peyton had crawled out of the woods and then the biker had found her, like the cyclist person who's riding their bike. They had called 911. She had gone to the hospital. Um, I think her windpipe or her ability to talk was impeded, so she was writing things down. Um, and Gosh. the initial theory that they had was that the three girls had been like kidnapped. Um, you know, not that the two girls had attempted to injure Peyton, that it was a stranger or something like that who had... Um, planned on murdering both Morgan and Anessa. Um, and so they were looking for them, hoping that they were going to find a scary man in a car sort of situation. Had Peyton thinking, not conveyed in her writing? I think she was unable to talk, but also, like, mostly unconscious. So I don't think... Understandable. Yeah, right, I know. It had been a hard day. Um, and so I think it was... It, so they found the two girls walking along the side, alongside the highway. And it sounds like their initial thought was that they were... They assumed that they had been kidnapped and dropped off there if in some sort of situation. And so they took them both. They were, you know, looked them over. They appeared to be in decently good physical health, which was good. And so they took them to the police, like they took them to the hospital to be checked out. And then they took them to a police station to be, in, to interview them, um, which is why like the parents, I think one thing that I found interesting was that the parents let them go through such a long interview with the police officers which I found really strange because they interviewed them for several hours. Yeah, so the parents allowed them to be interviewed like without an attorney present, without anyone present, just the, you know, each girl in a room with a detective sort of thing. 
for several hours and probably not initially realizing that their daughters were the perpetrators yeah so i think the parents as well as the police officers all went into it assuming that they were victims which makes the most sense and then it sounds like they started talking i think they started talking about slender man and it sounded like from the interviews that they had with the police officers the police officers were like what what are you talking about? You know, like this isn't like this. You're talking about a fully formed character in your mind that has all these attributes and not just like a stranger who kidnapped you. And so that's where it came out of. And so um, eventually in the interviews, both girls independently talk about their plan to impress Slender Man and then the execution of the crime and how they planned and how they planned to do it, how they actually executed it, how they did all the whole story basically which I found so interesting that they had it seemed like they hadn't come up with a plan for if we get caught by police officers what are we going to say it sounds like they really did think that well as part of their initial kit yeah I guess I guess we didn't fully get to it had they packed things to cover up their crime no so they so when they found them walking on the highway they were still wearing clothes that had Peyton's blood on them they really didn't think so they through. didn't so it like, sounds like they really they planned didn't. so many things in advance but it was really just the killing part not the consequences part yeah which is exactly what we would expect from developmentally adolescents yes. to not think about and I think young adult adult development theory that would be the case that they wouldn't understand even they wouldn't even consider the possible ramifications of it um, even though, as an adult, you're like, it's so obvious. Like, why didn't you do anything that would have potentially covered up this crime? Because it sounds like you weren't hiding it at all. No. So in a, it's And then admitted it. Yeah, and then admitted it right away. And so they had a backpack that had the knife that had been used. It was still covered in blood, obviously. They were both still wearing clothing that had Peyton's blood on it. Um, but then they also had just sort of things that you would take on a light camp, like a hiking trip, like a... They had, like, extra socks or had, like, granola bars, did, things like that. Do they think this was, like, a sleepover with Slender Man? Like, what? No, it sounded like they had planned to go live. Oh, and one of the girls had, like, a picture of her family and, like, a journal. So things that you would maybe take in a more permanent setting, but they didn't take clothing or anything like that. No, it sounded like they had planned to live there forever. With several granola bars, a bloody knife, a photo of a family, and a journal. Yeah, but I guess Slender Man would provide the rest. Well, naturally. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So let's get into a little bit about what Slender Man even is, because at the start of the episode, we were talking about, I think a lot of people have heard the name. I had heard of Slender Man, uh, but I didn't really have an idea of what, Same. what he was. And so I, am gonna, I don't know if this is true, but I think if, if you're familiar with cryptids, I'm going to count Slender Man into the family of cryptids. And so cryptids... Right up there with Nessie and... Yeah, are basically... The term specifically means hidden animal, but they're basically like an, like creatures that are out of lore. So like the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot. I would probably count like UFOs into that category. Hodag. Right, I know. So the things that are creatures that aren't really real or we don't have any proof of them being real. Um, I think Slender Man fits in that perfectly because it sounds like there's some people that genuinely believe that he is present 
um, even though there's pretty good evidence to support that he is not. So where did he come from? There was a photo contest oh, on a website called Something Awful, which is like a law old website. One of like It feels like one of the very first websites ever created um, where they basically hosted a Photoshop contest for someone to create the creepiest photos possible. And so what came out of this was somebody made a Slender Man photo. He made two different photos. One, and they're both older. One is from like 1960s, 70s of like five-year-old children, like five or six-year-olds playing on a playground. And in the background, you can see Slender Man just standing there. And all the students or all the children are looking, it looks like a school photo, so a couple of students are looking at the camera. And so is Slender Man, but he's in the distance, like several yards behind them. Um, if you had to guess, he would probably be about somewhere between seven and 10 feet tall, but like definitely way taller. Um, he's got super long hands or like super long arms and hands, like the hands in particular are a lot longer than a typical human's hand. So they would be very spidery and creepy. Ugh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty creepy. Um, and then the second photo is very similar. Again, it looks like uh, maybe 12, 13 year olds at a camp, um, cause they're all wearing like outdoorsy camp day camp type clothing. Again, the, their attention is directed at the camera and behind them, you can see on like the tree line, Slender Man standing. And that's where he was, or the first documentation that they have of him. Um, and so that's only from 2009, which is not very old really. Um, and so it's amazing that he caught on so, so quickly, I guess. Did people start creating more fan art of him, essentially? Yeah, so the reason why it's not just those two pictures, you can find a ton of stuff about Slenderman online, is that basically people took this idea and spun with it themselves. And so there are a lot of different images where you can see Slenderman depicted in the background of a picture, fan art, people um, documenting what they believe they have seen as it relates to Slenderman. And, and, and I guess the, the common themes that are that exist for Slender Man are definitely like a menacing stance. He's very tall. It looks like he's leaning over over the person who is standing there, um, usually faceless, but sometimes it's just like eyes and always wearing a dark suit, usually wearing um, a boulder hat, which for some reason makes it more creepy to me. Um, and sometimes, and this is the most unsettling one, uh, portrayed with octopus like tentacles that are coming out of his back and like reaching forward. So he'll have like eight tentacles coming out from just behind him, which I think those are the most unsettling because it'll show him like reaching towards children on a playground and things like that, which is really Ugh. creepy. So, and the the legend of Slender Man is that he takes children, like he'll steal people from, um, from the playground. He'll steal children from the, the camp where they are and so the, that's like the story that associated the original two pictures is that um, children went missing after that picture was taken sort of like a, this is the last picture that was taken of this child sort of situation and you see Slenderman in the distance and so that's where allegedly these Morgan and Anessa got the idea from that Slenderman could harm their families could bring harm to them not only was this part to like there, there were two different narratives that were happening, it seems. One was, we want to impress Slenderman. We want him to, um, we want to do his bidding for him. And we hope that if we do that, then we'll be granted entrance into his mansion in the woods. 
But the other part of it is that they, it seemed that they were afraid that Slenderman was going to do harm to either them or their families if they didn't do something for him in his honor. Okay. That's very uncomfortable. Right. I, I would agree. That's taking things just way, 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 way too far. There's, I think, almost so little about Slenderman. Or may, I mean, maybe I'm foolish for thinking that. But there's so little about him. So I guess like the next, the next permutation of it or where Morgan and Vanessa might have gotten more more into it is that in there's um, from about five years ago there is a youtube series um titled marble hornets um and marble hornets yes marble hornets and so i watched more than of it than i would like to admit um <laughs> but basically it's a youtube series i would say presented similar to the blair witch project in the you know, kind of holding a camera in really shaky ways, holding the camera so your face is looking at it, things like that, um, made to be like faux documentary, a mockumentary. Yes. Yeah. Um, that were very popular during the time. Um, but let me tell you, this number of views that these videos have is in the millions. Like it's three million people have viewed these videos. So it's short videos between like two minutes and seven minutes long where they, it's basically like this, guy was making um, sort of an action-themed movie called Marble Hornets, and so that's where it gets its name. And then in the process of making this like action horror movie, he ends up giving up the project totally, and he gets rid of the tapes, and he like doesn't want to watch them anymore, so he gives them to a friend. And then the friend is like going through and reviewing all this footage. And basically, the friend that was originally filming, the original director of Marble Hornets, gives up the project because... He has some encounters with Slenderman and so on the camera footage that we see it'll be like in the dark woods you see that there's somebody standing in the distance and then um, yeah and so it's very haunting is what oh. I would say and so lots of bad things befell him um, and what I will say is that Marble Hornets has like 300 videos it's a really long series and so I didn't watch all of it but that's something oh, to gosh. go back to um, but I could see the way that if somebody doesn't have a full ability yet to understand the differences between fantasy and reality, that they could be sucked into a story like Marble Hornets and creep in like the creepypasta universe and Slender Man, because if you were watching it and didn't understand that this was a pretend documentary, uh -huh. it looks like a real documentary. Oh, sure. I mean, some people thought the Blair Witch Project movie right. was real. Like, yes, some children, like adolescents, died in the woods. And you know what they decided to do? Turn it into a blockbuster right. movie, you know? But I think I remember being in, I was probably in middle school when the Blair Witch Project came out. I saw the movie. I was horrified by it. And I did think it was real, which is, in hindsight, how how there'd be so much exploitation of the right family. I know in hindsight yeah right I know and I mean I, I maybe thought it was like a dramatization but I definitely thought it was a real it was based on a real story and so I think that's where it can come from is that if you don't fully understand like if you're not in on the joke then you don't really understand that it's not real and so I can almost understand them becoming more involved in the fantasy and not understanding it mm -hmm. um, just because of where they are developmentally. 
So, um, and that came up in the, the interview that they had just the girls were uh, being interviewed by police officers and they made reference to basically like sightings that they had had of Slenderman believing that he could kill their family in just a couple seconds and thought that they had seen him in the woods after they had attempted to kill Peyton. They thought that they had seen him in the distance, even though it was like a suburban... Tipping his bowler hat to them. I guess. Um, it was like a suburban, like semi-wooded area, not really like a forest. It was like just, you know, a few blocks away would be residential houses. Which to me just seems so interesting, I guess, that I was like, how could you potentially see people's like regular backyards and houses in the distance and still think that Slenderman was present? It's such a childlike way of thinking. Yeah. It's, It's just, I don't even know what else to say. It's just dripping in childlike thinking covered in a horrible lack of thinking through like killing another person right if your motive is to save the people you presumably love most besides your best friend right being your family that you're willing to kill another person like you just like didn't think through that no and i almost wonder so it sounds like um these girls maybe struggled to make friendships outside of each other and so i almost wonder if they were missing the like social feedback that a lot of people mm-hmm. get that can help one mature in a more kind of typical neurotypical way and so i almost wonder if them just being in a vacuum of each other is what caused maybe a delay in development because they didn't have, you know the social and emotional relationships that typically exist for people their age but it was just a couple of other people um, and so i wonder if that even delayed them in developing as well. Yeah, I've often thought about that. We learn a lot of our social norms and values and behaviors from our families growing up, but your social interactions with others, especially negative feedback, Mm -hmm. can really shape you. And, you know, we think about, like, we don't want anyone being disrespectful or unkind or mean to anyone else, but it's our desire to be validated by our peers that can sometimes help shape our social norms so that by the time we become adults, other people would call us well-adjusted. It's just that we've conformed our behavior to fit with expectations. If they don't get that feedback because they're not interacting with other people, it all, yeah, it just sounds like this horrible, perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah, of maybe already being predisposed to violence or really serious mental health concerns and then they in a couple articles I did um, read about basically all three girls experiencing bullying at some point or social isolation not having other friends outside of this small group of friends so I don't know I think what I found so interesting was um, there was like a long 2020 episode that I watched with Peyton's parents and then they did do a little bit of sort of like a snippet with an with Peyton, but it was mostly focused on her parents. And the thing that blew my mind the most was that the parents were saying, we knew both Morgan and Anessa. They seemed like fine girls, like nothing interesting, particularly like unnerving or concerning about it. 
They would have kind of normal 12-year-old friendship fights, like they would fight over silly things, but those would only last like a day or two, and then they would come back to being friends, and they seemed like nice girls is what they said. It blew my mind that there wasn't maybe like glaring concerns before that, you know, and I think we talked a little bit about Morgan experiencing mental health concerns before, but I think it's important to note that lots of children experience mental health concerns, and so why is it that this one became so dangerous and so mm-hmm. out of the typical, you know, because when you think about like the millions of people who experience mental health concerns every day, and again, 99.9% of them are not murdering their, or attempting to murder their friends. Right. And so like, where did this, how did this thing have such a hold on them? I think what I do find interesting is I'm, and I'm curious to know like what your theories on it are, is like, why does something like Slenderman continue today? Why can we still find, you know, recent articles or recent people posting about Slenderman right now? For the same reason that you still find people posting things about Loch Ness Monster, it's not there, but posting about it can happen for a number of reasons. One, you can sometimes profit off of it. Yeah. Two, there's a level of whimsy and imagination that all of us have that we like to carry on in some of our beliefs. And what one person considers whimsy could be another person's they, they f- think and feel that it's real. I mean, even if you get something as simple as ghosts, some people believe and other people don't. But then you can go a little bit further and talk about things like Bigfoot. You can go a little bit further and think about things like leprechauns. <laughs> you can go any number of distances and where is your line? Or even extraterrestrials or aliens. Where is your line of what you believe can exist and what doesn't. So I think there are some people who post something because they sincerely believe that they encountered or saw or experienced something that probably was just something else, but wasn't easy to explain in the moment. And I think there are some people who, through art, through writing, through photoshopping, through video editing have created something that they themselves know is false but know that there's a market for consuming it and can exploit that for advertising purposes for monetary purposes for recognition purposes of their work there's a lot of reasons why people might do it but i think some of them are coming from a place of earnestness and it's just a matter of where do you fall on what's whimsy and what is just it does it's not there yeah What do you think? I think you're right. I think there's probably a level of people that genuinely do believe in something like Slender Man and maybe don't have the ability to step back and do some more research on it and see where, where did it come from? It's, you know, because I think both of the photos that were submitted in 2009 claimed to be from much earlier. So they are claimed to be from the 60s and the 80s. Um, And so... There's probably like a sense of, that creates a sense, I guess, of this has been going on for a lot longer. It creates a sense of believability. It creates a sense of um, truthfulness that maybe wouldn't otherwise exist. And so I think you're right. I think it's probably more, but I also don't want to assume that there's like malicious intent, like people are exploiting 
people being unable to reasonably deduce that this isn't real. I think there's also a sense of it just being a fun thing to do. Some people right. like spooky things. I mean, maybe they're not intentionally... I don't think... And actually, one of the interesting things was that um, several websites that featured Slender Man put out statements, especially Creepypasta, that was like, we don't condone this. This is all make-believe. Mm-hmm. We don't want anyone to be harming anyone else. And I think that that is a big part of it. I think one of the challenges, though, is that um, we don't always understand what people are taking too literally or maybe not understanding the intent of. Because if you're just saying Slender Man is out there and he's going to injure you or you need to make a blood sacrifice or whatever, and you in your head are saying, I understand that this is just a joke. This is just a fun thing to talk about. I like spooky stories. It's Halloween, X, whatever, you know. Um, that doesn't mean that somebody is completely understanding, is in on the joke in the same way. Yeah, and there's a big difference between a 30-year-old woman yeah. knowing that something is fiction and consuming it for its entertainment value rather than for its morals. Yes. And a 13-year-old girl not yet being able to discern that. It's a lot easier to be afraid of a haunted house when you're 13 than when you're 30. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I shared my story of thinking Blair Witch was probably mostly real. And now as an adult, it seems preposterous that whatever I would have ever thought that, but... I'm sure I did too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure most people did. I think there's also a level of harboring hope that certain stories might exist because of how exciting it would be if they were real. Yeah. How cool would it be if Harry Potter was a true story? That's true. You want to believe it. It would be horrifying if Slender Man was real, though. But some people find it exciting to think that scary things could be real, That's even true. if they don't want to happen across them themselves. Yeah. Like, I or, know that the Loch Ness Monster doesn't exist. I want the Loch Ness Monster to be real. But I want it to exist. We're going to talk about that in a later episode. So. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I almost wonder if there's a sense of, if this thing ended up being real, I would be have some inside knowledge on it, you know? And so... That kind of motivates you to learn more, to be um, more aware of it, to develop a greater understanding of it. Sure. And right, I think there's like a level of, I just hope that this thing is real. Not because I want it to hurt me, but just because it's exciting to yeah. think that this thing exists. Yeah. Or some people may have a dark tendency, and that's, I suppose, why. I don't know. Takes all kinds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we, well, I have a job for a reason, I suppose. Help, help people have a strong grasp on right and wrong and, and understanding what's real and what's just their head telling them it's real. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so what do you think of this topic? I, you know, when you told me that the first topic was going to be Slenderman, I was really thinking, I don't know anything about Slenderman, so here we go. And I think it became a lot more philosophical than I expected it to be. Sure. And I still would love to watch some documentaries on this event of uh, two teenage girls hurting their friend, trying to kill her. I, I want to delve more into that psychology, I think, but from the standpoint of how urban legends or, or made-up stories about crippling their friend, trying to kill her, I, I want to delve more into that psychology, I think, but 
from the standpoint of how urban legends or, or made up stories about cryptids can influence other people's behavior, I think it's just so fascinating. I would agree. I thought that this was, um, this is our first episode, but I thought that this was a super cool story because not only does it delve into um, cryptids, things that are just come from urban legends, and this one's a pretty recent urban legend, but I think it also goes into the psychology, the dark psychology that can exist and something that I think we both find fascinating. So something to definitely keep you up at night. Moral of the story is uh, think before you try to kill your friend. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that's a good lesson for anyone. Um, I think that's all we have for tonight. So I think I'm ready to wrap it up. Thank you for listening to Campfire Fables. I'd like to thank my guest, Peg Zisman, for being here today. I hope you've enjoyed our exploration of Slenderman. If you like the spooky story we covered today, please like and subscribe for more information and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Check out our sources in the show notes. And of course, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a comment. I would also like to thank all the sources I used to make this episode. For tonight's spooky story, it should be noted that many different sources were used to create this campfire fable. Until next time, stay spooky.